1: Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and our topic today is a really important one. It's self-improvement and motivation setting and reaching goals, business success, human biomechanics and so much more. And my guest today is Chris Duffin, also known as a mad scientist of strength, who went from building his body to building a business empire. And after becoming a superstar in the world of strength and one of the most respected strength coaches in the world, he became a best selling author and has created and turned around companies in multiple industries, ranging from shoes and supplements to aerospace and high-tech. So he is now retired from competing, but he uses his MBA and his engineering background and hands-on knowledge to provide biomechanically sound, industry-changing innovations in education with his company, Kabuki Strength. And in his own words, the businesses and athletic career I've built over the years deal with the discipline of physical strength, while my best-for-selling memoir, The Eagle and the Dragon, deals with the psychological and emotional components of strength that he developed during his wild and chaotic upbringing in what he calls homeless in the wilderness. We're having a bit of trouble getting Chris in, so ah, I think I just spotted him in the dashboard. Hang on a second. Hey, Chris. Good morning. Are you here?
0: I am. How are you?
1: I'm good, and you sound so much better. So I've just introduced you, and your timing is perfect. So welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. And by the way, your book is on my desk as we speak, and I'm impressed. I'm I'm not often speechless, but this is pretty impressive. And I have to tell you, one of the things that I read is in the very beginning. It talks about – it was from your foreword – and it says, and I quote: "Chris doesn't see human beings; he sees human potential, and that's really what you're all about, isn't it?"
0: It uh, it is, and you know that kind of sounds a a little cheesy, but no, it doesn't. But of anybody that's been around me and and the uh, the people like in my organization today, or it's you know you end up with you know a head of marketing that was you know, had a philosophy background and, you know, just different people that you encounter over time and you you grow into these roles of seeing uh, what their potential is. And the same thing in the athletic world. And I think that's one of the reasons I've seen significant success in both three areas, you know, like the, the the corporate leadership, you know, coming in and turning around and prepping and selling companies to be an entrepreneur with like consistent success, growing eight-figure businesses in a matter of years and also the athletic endeavors, both personally and the people that uh, that I coached or mentored through the years. So, yeah. What drives you?
1: I mean, you do so many things and you do them spectacularly well. What makes you, when you hit the floor running, what's driving you?
0: You know, I had an interesting conversation uh this weekend and it was You know, was showing over dinner like it was uh, some of some of the projects, the things that I work on, and they're very, very over the top creative. You know, building vehicles from the ground up, suspension, frame, axles, like everything uh, to homes to the the inventions. You know, being an award-winning inventor uh, with what I do, and in, in the philosophy around business, that being you know, a, an expression, the ultimate expression of art, and and just like diving deeper and deeper as far as like how far back does that run, this being wanting to to mold things around you, to create things, to make it better, to help people, you know, live a better quality of life, and I talk about uh, that and the development of resilience a lot, but what I thought was interesting about um, the thought process that I that I dove on over the weekend was, it dives back to like being a young child, and we had nothing. We were poor, and not poor like you you see today. Like we would live if we lived if we weren't living out in the woods camping out. You know, we might be in a condemned home. Uh, or some you know property to land down in Northern California, and oftentimes those were were a dump site, and there would be you know garbage kind of piled up off the back of the property where they were trying to use it as a landfill, or just it it was that way because it was a, uh, a used property and people would dump it dump there, or we would we would go to dump sites as shopping. We as a family would go and go dig through other people's garbage and rubbish and find what was semi-broken, what was kind of usable. And within that, I would take what I could and try to either fix or, more often than not, recreate it into other items. And that has been something I think the exposure I had at such an early age to using Everything, seeing this is right back to your your piece on the intro, seeing the potential in everything and trying to bring that to the world, and that is, you know, that's for me at a very very early age and the experiences that I had.
1: You know, your story is not one that, as Americans, we and we know poverty exists. We know at some level that this happens. But we're also taught and trained as very young children to understand and believe that America is the best person, you know, the best place in the world. In some ways, it is. In some ways, it's really not. So your story is basically one of survival, isn't it?
0: Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting because it's a lot of people would use my story, the, the rags to riches or Maybe not riches, but I, I consider riches in my life because I live the way that I that I want with the people I want around me. Um, but they'll use that to ex- exemplify the you know the American story: the pull yourself up by your bootstraps, no matter where you're at in life. If you put in hard work, you can get to the top. And the reality is, life's not always fair. And we have different opportunities based on where we're at, and everybody yes, everybody can move the needle but to think that you know everybody could can, can move to the same position it it's things don't always work out your way. all you have control over is is your actions and your responses to the world. you can't control the outcomes you can try to Better yourself so that you're in a better position. But yeah, growing up was, was interesting. So my parents were super intelligent. The type of people that are almost too intelligent and they didn't function in the society that we have today. They could not or did not want to be part of that. And it's like, how do you really make your way in the world today if you don't fit that mold. And so it started with like some communal living uh, in Northern California, north of the the Bay area. And then slowly and just trying to figure out a way to make ends meet because it's really hard to do that. Uh, you don't just, you know, live in a cabin and live off the land that much anymore. Like things work against you. Uh, To do that and so we ended up in further very remote areas in Northern California. Uh, My parents were pursuing being part of the drug trade this is the late 70s early 80s and in that area it was uh, it was an interesting thing there's actually a documentary about a place that was about 50 miles less remote than where we were called Murder Mountain and If you watch that documentary and you read my book, you will see the direct tie-ins of me talking about murderers, talking about dealing with a serial killer that tracked the family, talking about human trafficking, uh, corrupt police. All of this stuff was a direct reality in our world where people in power positions are preying upon those that are poor and worthless, worthless in the eyes of how we view people in in our society today. And so, yeah, we grew up in tents, you know, foraging for mushrooms, poaching animals. It It was a different environment. You know, during the school year, we would oftentimes move closer, you know, get into a a home like i said sometimes it was a home that was just a condemned property may not even have doors sometimes it had running water sometimes it had electricity rarely did it have both and we ended up getting taken my my siblings and i i had three younger sisters and a younger brother i was the one that kind of took care of them while the parents were out trying to uh logging or cutting wood or, you know, tending the crops, as it were. I was the one that, uh, back at camp or back at home, really kind of making those, taking care of them, and then got taken by the state for a while. That was was a really challenging period, honestly. Like, it was a nice, comfortable home, but it was a very different environment because, like, growing up, it was... We were a family unit. We were was there battling the world together, trying to make in. We were together all the time, all the way up till high school. It was, that was, we were together all the time working as the unit, you know, going to the library, picking up the books that were going to last us the next several weeks, because that was, that was what we did. You know, sat around reading books by candlelight, and by edge flashlight, and sitting in, watching the fires late at uh, the campfire late into the night but it was uh it was a different uh, a different experience than most people have
1: it sounds like it and part of it you know you're sitting you're talking about staying together and reading and watching the fires you know the fire burn that's actually lovely and i would think just guessing that those are part of your best experiences and your best memories
0: yeah, it uh you know there's a lot of great things from the environment that I grew up in. And I wouldn't trade it f- for anything. And when you talk about those things, you know, it's easy to start getting into romanticizing that type of life. I think there's a, a movie Captain America or something like that that is pretty on point with with that and the family similar to to us. Uh but you fall away from realizing, hey, you know, we lived in the woods. We were connected to our environment. We were connected to our food. We worked together as a family unit. I had so much opportunities to be able to work physically myself against the world and trying to overcome obstacles and learning failure and being able to to use that. I mean, like, I we were mining for a number of years out in Eastern Oregon after the parents got us back and we spent a year kind of living, uh, you know, normally, I guess. And then we kind of quickly fell back into it. But my parents never, never went into the drug trade again. And I say drug trade, they were growing weed, but you know, that was that was illegal at the time back then. At the time, <laughs> it was, it was, it was, now. There were people running around the woods in, the, in in that area of the Murder Mountain uh, with machine guns and people disappearing and I mean it was Ow. it was pretty wild. But they when they got us back we ended up in Oregon and they didn't go anywhere near that because they didn't want to have a chance of losing us again. But pretty quickly fell back into, you know, living very far apart and you know, disappearing over the summers into the mountains and and so we got into prospecting and mining. And I would you know, I would if I wasn't out, you know, hiking the mountains or packing rock out up the up the hillsides during the day, I would be down in the in the valley catching grasshoppers in the morning and I'd feed them onto my fish and hook. And I'd sit there and run up and down the streams catching brook trout all day long, and and so it's easy to romanticize those type of things, but then forget that people, the other people that may be hiding out from society, might not be doing so for altruistic reasons. That would be, you know, the murderer that lives a couple miles up the, you know, you know up the ravine and that's been hiding out there for 20 years because he, you know, beat somebody to death with a tire iron. Again, it could be the people that are disappearing. It could be, you know, the people that are praying, the, the, you know, the serial killer that, you know, I had to deal with and that tracked my mom later when, when he got out of prison uh, the second time. Uh, it, it, there's, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a dirty reality of other people that are, when, they're, when you're away from the normal world, it's different and people act different. When I'm
1: not sure there's we have that a normal, normal world. To, it,
0: it, you know, the people you're describing,
1: you know, the people you're describing, live in our normal world too. I mean, people are just people, and some are good, some are yes. bad, some yes. are, you know, sometimes good, sometimes bad, some are just sheer garbage. But yeah, I, get, I take your point. So, and I, I don't want to interrupt you, but I did, and I'm sorry. Keep on going because I, I'm I'm fascinated. So keep on with your story. And then I'm going to ask you, how did you go from all of this to to bodybuilding and then to building a business empire? But I don't, I really don't want to interrupt you. So sorry.
0: No, no, it's actually a really good time for, for that transition. So um, as we are getting close to uh, me being in high school, we started getting, you know, closer and closer. And finally, Uh, to society. So, you know, in junior high, you know, we were living in a trailer in central Oregon, kind of way out down by the river, little 16 foot trailer. I was sleeping in the back of the pickup truck during the, uh, during the winters, which was, it gets cold there. (laughs) Uh, We'd average anywhere between a foot to four feet of snow, you know, during the winter. And, and then we ended up with a mobile home for like my three years of high school. It was, it wasn't, you know, fantastic. It didn't have doors on the inside. It didn't have kitchen. It had these little crank shut windows that the wind would blow right through. But you know, we put plastic up over the windows, hung up some sheets over the you know, over the doorways inside, and we grabbed some two by fours and framed up a, a counter so we could put a sink in and have a kitchen. And it was a it was a stable environment for me now things in the house were getting worse and worse as far as like, you know, my stepfather had a history of drug use. Uh, Both my parents were alcoholics. My father, uh, who was not the one who raised me, you know, struggled with that his entire life as well, actually that and depression. And I, I talk in depth about that in in the book because that's something I've dealt with a good part of my life. But during this period, Around eleven, twelve years old, I was I was pretty good at school. Uh, so I was the nerd. I was the whatever, and, and I was never really so very socially adept. Constantly changing schools, my clothes were dirty, out of style. So I was I was made fun of. I had a lot of self confidence issues, and so. I decided I was going to balance that out with getting lifting weights, and then getting involved in sports. And I was pretty adept at that because also I was a very physical person, and I, you know, I, my my mother was a, you know, she graduated from a you know fifteen hundred person high school, a big school down in California, and she was you know the student athlete award for her. You know, she was top of her class for both, and. And so I have a lot of those innate abilities, uh, I believe as well. And, and so I started with just doing push-ups and jump squats and strapping some ankle weights that I that I found at a that I used Salvation Army store and going for runs. And then I started pushing, mowing lawns and doing side jobs and buying you know a little you know cement ca- ca- coated. Uh, weight set from, from, uh, off the nickel ads. And that just became, uh, something that I did really early on and it started building my confidence as well. And so I started excelling, you know, not just academically, but athletically in school. And by the time I, you know, I graduated high school, I was, I was valedictorian and I was a state level athlete and, a lot of people had no idea about my my home life and the struggles and and so I ended up going to to college and during that time in college, the first year year and a half, I quit really talking to the family frequently because you know when I was in junior high or high school, I was working too and now my money would help support the family or my parents buying booze and and so I didn't call home because I was going to school. And if I did, I'd have to send money. And so, gotcha. uh, so about a year and a half in, I found out that things had gotten really, really bad at home. And so I ended up starting to take custody of my three younger sisters. So by the time I was a senior in college, I had custody of the first of my three younger sisters and then slowly took the, uh, the other two in and so I raised them while I was working on my dual engineering degree Chasing my career and And working on my MBA through all those years basically from 21 till 30 I was raising my sisters
1: So we and just discovered your one. why
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so that was that was a it's just what needed to be done and so, so I did that. And, and I also chose the career in, in leadership early on. I didn't realize that, didn't realize that I had ADHD pretty, pretty severely, <laughs> but I decided to choose this path of leadership that would leave me like not tied to sitting at a desk at, like an engineer all day long. I knew there was something there that didn't fit for me. And even though I was, you know, coming out of being kind of a socially inept child, I guess, or maybe not inept, but uh, lacking the confidence. I chose that career that would, you know, at the, you know, at the outlook would seem not, uh, not the right choice. And I ended up excelling and I kept progressing in this world. And so by the time I was, I think, late 20s, I was sought after for doing the things that that I did. So, you know, they'd hire me to come in and fix a division of a company or, you know, and years later come in and fix an entire company and prep it for sale. And so I was working in automotive manufacturing, uh, aerospace. I did a, a, a really big turnaround and through sale process of a, of a company, turned it from... It was about ready to lose its contracts with Boeing and go under. It was not financially solvent, not meeting quality or delivery standards to Boeing, and was a very key supplier. I turned that around in the course of years to being the number one supplier in the world to Boeing for quality and delivery, financially solvent, and walked it through. Um, walked it through a sale process as well. Uh, did that in industrial equipment, high tech. I did that stuff for about 10 years or so at that level, but working in in this career segment of industrial uh, manufacturing for about 15 or 20 years. And, of course, that I was still lifting weights, too. So that never left me. And uh, so I owned a gym on the side eventually because I wasn't happy with the gym environment. So I, I – you know, when with changing companies, like it's – people – it's not about like i was a i was a process expert person you know i brought in specific strategies and i retooled the companies but it, it's not about that stuff fundamentally it's about changing people one on one connecting people to you know where we're going and having them see that fit and the changes that are going to happen and you start changing people, you change culture, you change culture, you change companies. And that's what I did. You know, it's, it's, it's coaching, right? And in the, the athletic world, I was a competitive strength athlete. And I knew I needed to have three things, three things to, you know, do things that nobody else could do. And it was very similar to what the environments that I created in, in work as well. But it was I had to have the right methodology. I had to have the right tools, and I needed to have the right environment, the right culture, and the right internal mindset, right? And so the commercial fitness scape was not working for me, and so I ended up starting, it started as a home gym, and I built all my own equipment because it wasn't right. <laughs> and I, I brought in the right people to have the right environment, and I studied to have the right methods, and then it finally ended up, you know, becoming a commercial gym, around 2008 and I was I was the number one strength athlete in the world for ended up being eight years straight I was ranked number one in the world either the squat the deadlift or the what's called the the total which is a combination of your squat and your bench bench press and your deadlift and had this gym as a side business and never anticipated it being anything more. It was my ability to create this environment that would then allow me to, to accomplish in that area. And I'm sitting there, I'm pretty damn successful in life. You know, it's 2014 by this point and I've got two kids. I live in a house with a white picket fence. I've got another home. I've got a development property. I've got my vehicles. I own a gym. I'm number one in the world as an athlete. Like, what more could, could I need? And I'm I'm sitting there and I'm just not happy. I'm like, what is, what am I missing? And it's, it sent me back on this path of introspection about my values and, and, and I was struggling with some things. Like I really had to have this massive creative outlet. So, you know, in addition to all this, I had, my machine shop at home and I, my outlet was designing and building off-road race vehicles and, you know, suspension, fabrication, chassis, steering, design, things of that nature. And, and I also, at the same time, I was doing a ton of clinical continuing education because I had a string of injuries and I wanted to understand the human body even further. And so I was applying my mindset, my engineering mindset to it. And I was learning developmental kinesiology neurology like all these like really higher level stuff and i was starting to get to know the best people in the world uh, which is kind of <laughs> that's just what i do right and uh, so you know i'm you know i'm becoming friends and starting to actually getting invited to speak you know at symposiums with like the world, the, the the leading spine biomechanist in the world, you know, one of the best physical therapists in the world, but a person that brought this version of uh, developmental kinesiology from the Prague School of Medicine that's really influential and positive to the United States. Uh, and it was around this time I, was, you know, I was publishing videos and articles, which I think I'd started around 2007. Uh, doing video content online and then I think around 2010 or t- I started writing and doing specific educational videos and this stuff started getting in the mix and I was getting feedback, you know, people finding my email and sending me a message saying, you changed my life, like I was in pain, I didn't know what to do, it was affecting my mental health, I couldn't, like I was in, you know, depressed and, and you know, I watched the video. And it changed everything. Like I put the stuff to place and it changed everything. And that was, uh, I, 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 so I had so much going on and I'm just like, what has to give here? Like I've got my hobbies. That's pretty easy. Right. But I'm like, I have to have this creative, you know, outlet. I don't know if I can let that go. My kids, they're getting older. And they're getting to this age where they're going to be involved in sports and things like that. And I'm competing as a lifter, but, you know, as one of the best in the world. Yeah, you know, okay, so family, hobbies, lifting, or my career, what's it going to be? And so the the most logical conclusion was that I quit my job.
1: <laughs> How is so that logical? That's what I ended up doing. <laughs>
0: How how is that logical? You're going to have to share that with us. So that was logical because uh, those other things were a higher priority to me. Oh, wow. um, and, and so um, if I quit my job, I mean, I mean, that was the impetus for that becoming my work. So now the goal was to encompass all those things that I do in my life, family, creative outlets, the pursuit of my athletic endeavors, the pursuit of what I actually enjoyed in the career that I had. Why was I successful? I was successful because I challenged people to accomplish more than that they thought possible of themselves through either inspiring them connecting them to the vision, what we were doing with the company. And why could I not do that at a much higher level in other arenas? And in fact, by that time I'd pushed out a few small pieces about my life and it was having an impact on people as well. And so, you know, what are my values? Well my value system has me at well I already listed one, having a creative outlet. But obviously Challenge or accomplishment, you know, in my personal life that's or my work, that, that is a huge thing for me. That's obviously what I was chasing in the athletic side of things, right? That's why I was really successful in my careers, taking on challenge I need to have on some aspect. That's good. Okay. Ability to impact or inspire others to accomplish more than they thought possible. Absolutely, I can do that. Sense of family or community very massive. How can I incorporate that both into my career as my personal life? So you start walking through these things and it's like, oh, well, I need to walk away from this highly successful career and start my own thing that is, has all the things of my existing career but the missing things that I'm seeking elsewhere, right? And I, I call it this process of achieving balance through, through the extremes, through chasing extremes you can find balance not through moderation not through oh how do i you know taper back on work so that i can have more time with family how can i you know taper back my my hobbies or my family time so i can push my career forward at this period of time no it's like how do i push that stuff to the absolute extreme and from that find balance in the middle and you know, your audience may not connect with this analogy I have, but I, I'm the only person that's squatted and deadlifted a thousand pounds. It's done both and did it for reps. And like in the talking about squatting, you know, I'll tell people, I want you to have absolutely perfect technique. And people will think, oh, I gotta not have any weight or an empty barbell and just practice. Practice, practice, practice till it looks absolutely perfect. And I'll say, well, I I also want you to put every last ounce, nothing left in your soul, into that bar. And people think, well, techniques to the wind, it's gonna look ugly. And it's like, no, no. I absolutely want both. And 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 you can't actually like, if you don't have the demand of the load, the weight on your back, you're not going to find where you're breaking down, what you need to improve so that you can dial in your technique. You can't absolutely put every ounce of effort and every last thing of your soul into the bar unless you push your technique. Every little, little millimeter of perfection that is a potential energy leap, or an opportunity for an injury. like These are things, and if you do that to the absolute extremes, you'll cut away all the other fluff, the things. It'll force you to find the fluff of all the other things you're practicing or doing in the gym or in life or whatever that, that are not productive. So you're, it dials you into those two areas, and it forces you to, to do some pairing off of the uh, the scope creep of all the other things and in it you will find something beautiful something beautiful in the center at like doing something that nobody in the world's ever done before which is what I did and you can do the same thing with many other things like your work life balance for example right so within this i created a culture around this value of development, you know, pushing oneself, the the trying to develop resilience through body, mind, and soul, the cornerstone of, you know, seeking and always trying and believing that there's always just a little bit better that you can be, A sense of community and family uh, within your work of people that share those values and are pushing each other to try to to do the same thing. And, and what happens from that? You end up drawing the people into your life that are going to be your friends, your everything that you want. So you, you start getting that out of, you, you, you draw those people into your life. And so it starts becoming there. It becomes, there's your leadership there. For me, as my creative outlet because now I'm designing products that aren't only you know, my hobby stuff, but now they're products that are going to help people in doing this in the external world it's going to help them get out of pain and move in a better manner it is you know so that's not an extra thing i'm doing on a saturday or a sunday that then's taking away from the family time right and my specific challenge or accomplishment factor of doing you know chasing that stuff in the physical world well, well that's part of my work and now i'm doing that during my work day and it's expressing and enhancing the products that I create in the company that I'm creating. And so it's, it's driving and propelling my business forward at the same time that it's a personal hobby. Like everything all becomes aligned. Understand your values before you set your goals. Goals are a way of expressing those values in the world and people get so mixed up in like goal setting and the execution side, which are massive, but you've got to take a step back into this value setting proposition first and really do introspective work of understanding this because every step that you're putting in front of you should be a path towards the way that you want to live, the way that you want to be and the way that you want to express yourself in this world.
1: I am so glad, Chris, that I asked you how quitting your job was logical because what you just shared is astonishingly brilliant because you're right. I mean, once you, if you're working in a job, you're working for somebody else, you're kind of limiting your scope and your audience, but becoming, as you have, a global brand and doing it on your own. The only person who can get in your way at this point is you. And I don't yeah, think I don't. you're going to be doing that anytime soon.
0: <laughs> well, there's a couple of so, uh, things there. I want to touch on the title of my book here in a minute, so don't forget. To, uh, let me forget that. But the other people okay. I want to talk about there is this, and, and you're hitting on it, and you're hitting on it with what you do as well, is business in this world today in what we have, business entrepreneurship is the ultimate expression of art in the world today in my opinion because what is art art is your ability to express what you see and try to share that with others and impact others to to think about those things and incorporate that at least in their thought process but today with what we have the potential of doing is you're literally looking at the future world right and you're deciding and seeing those opportunities and what you want that change that you want to bring like so you're taking your your vision right? Your lens for the things that you want to see. And then you're mixing it. You're mixing it with your values and the change that you want to bring in your values, both externally expressed to the world through your business, as well as internally within your business and bringing about that change today in the world. Like, wow, holy shit. That is, that is art, right? And And so we get like all this, you know, hustle and grind porn stuff out there of like, just push, 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 make all your money. That's what it's all about. And it's like, no, no The reason to be in business is for this. The reason to strike out on your own is for this, because guess what? It's going to be hard fucking work. So you better understand why, because it's not going to be to drive through the hard times and to get there. You're going to need to understand that why. And money is the medium to make your business work. And by your business, I mean expressing that vision and values in the world today. It is the, the conduit for making that stuff happen. It's not the end goal, right? And so it's massively important and so incredible to realize, like, what you can do as an entrepreneur or as a business owner or whatever you want to call it uh, in the world today or finding and aligning yourself with the business that has those because, you know, doing it on on your own is not necessarily a, a good fit for everyone because honestly it, it takes so much. It's not going to be worth the dollar. <laughs> uh, you need to have those greater whys. And so anyway, that was just a tangent I wanted to express. And this is the process for for getting there and also the motivation for getting there. Uh, And in life as a whole is like creating like this North star of like those values and, and the way of living and being. Because every day when we talked, I talked about alignment there. You want to be in a position that everything that you're doing, or at least every day and every week, you're taking a step. And that step can always be closer to that place. It can can never, you can never get there. I can never get and say, ah, done. I'll check off creative outlet, check off sense of family, check off, you know, uh, continual learning, check off, like, it's never done. You're never reaching, ah, my goal is to have XX. And so if your goal is ever to be, I need to have this career. I need to have this title. I need to have this XX thing in my life, uh, cars, uh, house, uh, yacht, uh, whatever it is you have not thought it through yet you're it's, it's great that you have that and you but you need to peel back the layer and ask yourself why do i want to be a surgeon why do i want to have a plane why do i want it and, and, and keep digging this through like in my book i do the this example it's really easy to, to articulate going hey because this is the thing like all the the, uh, the hustlepreneurs, as I call them, uh, the Gary V's and all that. They, they, have, they have great messaging, but there's, there's a broken mix in the messaging. Like, um, you know, go out there and get your, earn all your stuff, say fuck the haters and, you know, get your mansion, get your fancy cars, get all that stuff that you want. And it's like, well, what if you don't understand that the reason that you want those things is because, like me, this is actually one of my values. Works in counter to my challenge and accomplishment, but it's still one of my values, security. I've been growing up the way that I do, knowing that I'm in a place that I'm not relying on both my own self-security as well as my security for my family, that I'm living in a paycheck-to-paycheck environment. That, And if I don't understand, that's the reason I would want you know, those things. And all I focus is on is I want those things. Guess what? You can go down to the bank and you can push and over leverage yourself to the point to get those things and be sitting there going, wow, I'm depressed. I've got anxiety up the wazoo. Why am I so unhappy? I'm paying the bank every penny I earn. you You actually did the opposite of what your value was, but you got the physical thing. So why do you want the physical thing? Why do you want the title? Why do you want the job? Why do you want, and that's the starting process of, of digging back those layers to understand those values and that North Star because what we want to do is make sure that, you know, taking a step to the left and, and over-leveraging yourself, that's a way step in the wrong direction, right? How do I move that forward just a little bit every day? Because the other side of this in life is so many people, and this is the majority of the population, once you get past, like, the primal things in life that drive you into to being uncomfortable, to being in this, this phase of, God, I don't, I, I, I want to move out on my own. It's getting that time, but you've got those push to do it. You've got the push to, to find a mate. And you've got the push to maybe have some kids. And, and then you reach this point of that isn't there, and people will just live life. You know, it's Monday through Friday to get to the weekend and you're kind of half assing your work and half assing your time with your family and mixing in some time with friends and next thing you know you look back and it's thirty years have gone by. And just you know, go sit by most people on their on their deathbed and I've done it a few times recently, unfortunately, and you will hear the regrets
1: regrets. that they have in their life, their
0: life, right? Yes. And so you can go, like I said, next thing you know, it'll be a month without moving a step, then a year, then a decade. And so if we can get to a point of cutting out the flesh, living through chasing extremes or maybe some other manner of whatever your approach is so that every at least week you're moving one, just one step towards this crazy, gnarly thing that you never thought possible. And then one day you turn around and you look back and you go, "Holy shit, that kid from the sticks there!" Like, here I am today. Like I, I'm sitting here. I work with nearly every major sports teams in North America, Major League Baseball, NBA, um, uh, NFL, every branch of the military. All the top physio clinics. Heck, uh, there's even a room off the Oval Office that our Commander in Chief uses. My stuff. The, the, all the top action movie stars, uh, Marvel Studios, The Rock. Like he has his stuff ne- from us next day air to wherever he's, wherever he's do- filming at. So that he ha- it's the only thing that he'll use. Uh, like, that's pretty freaking wild. I'm, I'm I would here, say something so. from, from the, you know, sticks, you know? Like,
1: but you like, know, Chris, what I'm not hearing from you, I mean, I'm hearing you talk about the things that you've done, and I can hear the passion in your voice, but you know what I'm not detecting from you is just ego. this is not ego for you, is it? You're proud of what you do and how you help people, and you should be
0: it uh <clears throat> yes, and so i you know i I list those people and those companies just to express because when I when I sit here it's to articulate the story even the story of my life and you have my book in front of you and as you read through it you'll realize how much it is written for the reader it is to walk you through this process this introspective process yourself not give you the answers but to guide you into it give you a sense of inspiration and mo- motivation on the on the way but nearly the entirety of everything I've done in my life was without even telling that story because it wasn't who I was. But I came to understand it's a great story to articulate these messages and to show people just how far you can come using these things. But it is not a, oh, look at me. Uh, And it is not a, Oh, I had it so bad. In fact, there's so many terrible things <laughs> that happened, like traumatic, during the course of my upbringing, as far as uh, you know, within my family and to myself. That just there is no point in even telling them because they're. It's like, what are the pieces that are articulating this story and moving that forward? It's not a like, oh, look at what I can fucking overcome, right? And uh, <clears throat> but yeah, it's. I I hope that it's not easy to. To misread my statements, and that's usually the feedback that I that I get, because it is uh, it is pride, and it's me wanting to share with people that you can do this, and share at least I'm not the smartest person in the room, I'm not the most successful person in the room, I'm not the person that's moved the needle the most, you know, in the room. There's so many people that have done much much more than me in all these arenas, but what i have done is i've lived a life with an incredible scope to it and within that scope it's given me a lot of time to think and have introspection and uh, and see the world in very very different ways from being you know the, the you know up in the peak of corporate america, america to a kid in the sticks that walks into a store and is being looked at um because they think that uh his family is going to be sneaking off with things or, you know, teachers and and students making fun of. And to that, uh, you know, being an entrepreneur, to working with, like, these top stars that most people would, like, oodle over, right? Scope gives me that eye and things uh, about how I view the world that I just really want to share with people.
1: And here's the thing: I'm listening to you, and your passion is overwhelming. It really is. I'm, I'm actually, you're gonna think I'm a nut, but I'm kind of clutching my stomach because it's just that effective. Listening to you, I'm like, oh, geez, you're hitting me right in my gut. Is the only way I can say it without, you know, saying it differently. But your story is astonishing. But here's what I'm picking up from it: you didn't let. Anything really get in your way? You didn't sit around and start drinking or say "Whoa, whoa, poor me, kids don't like me." You just found your own center, and that's what we all need to do.
0: Yeah, and, and, and I wouldn't say that I wouldn't. I've definitely had some of those uh, in my life, oh, and yeah, I'm open about I'm that. In about that. my, I'm open about that in my book. Like I. But you I didn't wallow like in my, it
1: and fall into it. You didn't go down that rabbit hole and stay there.
0: Yeah. And so this is how much I'm passionate about it. And the title of my book is The Eagle and the Dragon. So at 18, 19, 20 years old, I was working on a tattoo that went from my ankle all the way up my leg, all the way across my stomach and my back. And that tattoo was two eagles trying to take flight. One was splayed out across my stomach and the other across my back. And on the the ankle of each eagle, it's chained. And that chain wraps down around my leg and wraps to my ankle where it's shackled. And this is something that I started at 18 years old. And it was to express to myself that you can fly to whatever heights that you want in this world. The only thing holding yourself back at the end of the day is you. It's about understanding and finding your strengths and expressing those in the world. And so I had a tattoo that encompassed a good half of my body to depict that. Just one tattoo. And then I had another tattoo done. And this is, I did this over the course of one week this time. And this was nine hours a day, Monday through Friday. I had this done, and this was done just prior to being 40 years old. Midlife crisis, you could say, whatever. But this is the time that I chose to walk away from my career. I quit my career. I took out my 401K. I leveraged it. I ran up every credit card. I sold all my homes. I ended up living in an apartment as a single father with two kids because I did some evaluation of the relationships and things in my life and things that were, were fit, like the way that I wanted to live and be. I asked my wife for a divorce. I quit competitive lifting. I mentioned I was ranked number one in the world for eight years straight. I walked away from that too. I took everything that in my life that I was highly successful at and I reframed it. And I said, I had this tattoo done. It's a a giant Ouroboros. It's this dragon or a snake that's eating its own tail. And it wraps. It starts on my chest. It's big and massive. I'm a big, massive person, by the way, so it's a big tattoo. And it wraps all the way around my shoulders and my back and my other shoulder and back to its front. And it's eating its own tail. And it's the, the... This is what I call the purposeful reinvention. This is deciding. Specifically who you want to be in this world and becoming that, becoming that person. So not just the, you know, letting yourself go and finding your strengths and expressing those, but then the purposely deciding who you are and what you're going to do. And so then the course of those, those following years, you know, I started my business, businesses, I thought I was going to be a, a single person, but I mentioned I mentioned like creating culture and like drawing people to you. I ended up drawing and finding I thought I was just going to be a single. Person. The love of my I found love for the first time in my life at 40 years old, and that wow, that's you know like oh that thing in movies and books that thing is actually real. Like because I wanted to have passion in all areas of my life, and so I didn't really re- think that those things were real, and I was like not going to invest my time in that and damn that smacked me upside the head. Um, and so I have a beautiful wife, by the way, she airs on food network. Uh, I think this week, uh, on a show called fire Master. She's a, she's a, uh, she's an amazing chef. Um, what is her
1: name? Give us her name.
0: Jacqu- Jacqueline Duffin. Thank you. And, uh, so uh, making her way in the male-dominated barbecue world. <laughs> and so she's, oh, killing she's killing it. Good uh, for her. Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah. So remarried with have, have three three amazing children. Um, that is one thing with walking through, you know, the divorce process, you know, we kept at the center was, for me, that sense of family, having my kids there. You can read about them right there at the beginning of the book, as well as my, my <laughs> wonderful wife. Uh, and I ch- changed my lifting. I said, I want to do something different. I want to chase things that nobody's ever done before. I want, you know, to tie it to what I teach. And so one of the things, the primary thing, the largest global impact on the body is the ability to control and manage spinal mechanics. We're talking about the physical uh, uh, nature of things. check being foot and ankle complex, which is why I have a shoe company. Um, the But, I wanted to demonstrate this in a manner and show that I'm not just a specialist in a single exercise. So there was like half a dozen people that have squatted 1,000 pounds. There's half a dozen people that have deadlifted. Nobody's ever done both. And so over five years, I set this course called The Grand Goals. There's going to be a documentary movie release on it later this year, by the way. And I became the first person to ever squat. And deadlift a thousand pounds, and not only did I do that, but I did them both for repetitions, multiple reps in one set at one time, right, and so just took that to the to the next level, and that's what I shifted so every aspect I figured out a way to express it in a diff, completely different manner, and then again, that's I've already talked about what I do for work, so I won't step on. On, on that conversation again. But those are the two tattoos and that's the two pieces of the book. It's broken down into to, uh, two basic pieces, which is uh, the eagle and the dragon. And so, you know, when I talk stuff, when I get on my soapbox and I'm talking philosophy and my views on life and this stuff, these are not idle worlds words. These are not idle worlds. <laughs> these are not idle words. This, is the way I live my life. And it is written all over me, all over my skin and what I do in this world.
1: And I wanted to ask you, Chris, the ouroboros is that what you called it? Is that the the symbol that looks something like an infinity symbol?
0: Yes. So yeah. infinity okay. has, many meanings, it has many meanings. But if okay. you think about the continual reinvention of oneself, um, the new beginnings or infinity They're all wrapped in that Ouroboros uh, mythology.
1: Ouroboros, okay. I wrote that down too. I'm scribbling all over the place. Listen, I don't think I have been able to share enough of your your story and everything else that you've got to talk about in this one hour. Would you be willing to come back again? Because you've got a lot to share.
0: Yeah, we barely touched. well, we didn't barely touch. We dove pretty deep on some stuff, but there's there's so much more. <laughs> there's
1: more. And one of the things that you've talked about a lot, which I really, really appreciate, is introspective and the development of your personal vision. We all, I think, struggle with that. And you know what you said, too, and I, I need to mention this, and it was at the 1033 mark, if anybody wants to go back and listen to that. But you're talking about the load, having that bar under your shoulder, and you can't lift it if you don't know what it is. You can't get under it or around it if you don't yeah. know what it is you're trying to lift. And I thought that was
0: so important. So let's make this a note for the next one because we need to dive significantly in development of resilience of body, mind, and soul and how we can all do that. And, yeah, there's a, this is the cornerstone, actually, of, of the things that I speak on. We, we had some amazing discussions, uh, but this is, uh, this is a nugget we need to dive into
1: absolutely well you see i did that on the radio so you can't tell me no it's very tricky but i I really do want you to come back because this has been a fascinating conversation and seriously i've still got my hand on my stomach it's just so so much of what you're sharing is so profound and i need to ask you before i let you go how are your sisters doing
0: they're doing great so it's uh an interesting relationship. I'm basically the father figure and the brother, um, but uh, uh, it's been tremendous watching them grow in life.
1: Good, good, good. Well, listen, before I let you go, is there any other kind of nugget that you want to share with the audience and then we'll get you back again soon?
0: I think the best at this point is to reference people to where to find find more. So I've got a ton of free resources. So you just go to chrisduffin.com. That's like, Muffin, but with a D and you'll get a free download of the first part of my book or a free audible. If you go through the links there, Uh, if you sign up for the email list, that's where you get that uh, stuff. And then uh, you'll get uh, the details on my companies, what they do, exclusive discounts and exclusive education. And the trailer for the movie is on there as well. Nice.
1: Definitely. Chris, thank you so much for, For coming and sharing with my audience, it's been fascinating. It's been wonderful speaking with you, and I thank you so much for spending time with us, and I really look forward to having you come back. So before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes anywhere. You know, wherever you consume your business podcasts, we're there. Honestly, you can't throw a stick on the Internet without hitting your partner in success radio. And you know why it's a successful podcast? Because of people like Chris. My guests are absolutely the best so just look for your partner in success radio and take us along on your success journey chris again thank you
0: thank you get your voice heard if you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast contact denise griffiths at your office and go to the podcast tab